0: You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. So Matthew 5, let me read it. Um, Matthew 5, and we're going to be in the passage about salt and light. This is what Jesus says, directly following his Beatitudes explains the gospel. You know the Beatitudes are a gospel message. It starts with the poor in spirit and it, and it moves to mourning and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He's, he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. He's showing that he's a better Moses. He's showing that he is bringing a better law, a better covenant. He's showing that he is the covenant. He will fill the covenant. And he's inviting his disciples into a new time. And um, no sooner than he offers the disciples to receive the gospel, he turns around and calls them instruments of the gospel. And he calls them salt and light. This is what, this is what Jesus says to his disciples on that, on that mountain and what I believe he says to us. Matthew five thirteen through 16, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? He says, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown and be trampled on underfoot. He says, you, you are the light of the world. Turn to the person next to you and tell him, you're the light. You're the light of the world. A, a city, a city light. You ever heard of that? A city light built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, I, uh, I remember when, I, 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 pers- I preached my first sermon uh, at Crossroads Community Church. They gave me the youth pastor on Sunday morning. Uh, it's about 800 people in the room preach on Leviticus. Which passage? The whole book. I'm ambitious, so I just went for it. I read the whole thing. It's before the Bible Project. There was no cute little videos. I read it. Fell asleep a few times, woke back up again. And... Uh, I guess uh, it went fairly decently. It, it continued on you know, since for the last, for the last 10 years of, of trying to present the gospel and trying to talk about um, his kingdom in ways that aren't just about facts that are about transformation. There, there's a book. It's my favorite book. If you're ever going to preach a sermon or do a devotion, you need to go get this book. It's called Communicating for a Change. It's by Andy Stanley. And he says that every message uh, needs to have a me. You can't just be up there giving facts. You've got to share your heart. You've got to share your story. It has to have a we... It has to have empathy to it. It has to connect. It has to have a he. It's got to have text and it's got to have authority. And it better not be you talking about your opinions. It has to have, have, have authority in, in the scripture. And then it has, it has a you. It has a y'all. And then it has an us. It says me, we, him, you, and us. That's, that's the five moves. And um, we're on we, by the way, in case you're wondering where we are in the message. And so, so, so it's, it's imperative that we see... So Jesus is, is giving his gospel message and he turns around he says, you're not just going to be recipients, you're going to be instruments. Jesus is not saying you have salt or that you have light. He's saying you are salt. You are light. You are salt. Your life is salt. Your past is salt. Your future is salt. Your marriage is salt. Your job is light. Your story is the camera you drive, it's part of my sermon. I'm not here to, to just preach sermons. I'm here to send sermons. I'm here to send messages. And the message that you're bringing doesn't begin and end at 9 a.m. if you ever preach a message with a me, we, he, you, and, and an us. It's your life. This is what he's saying. Did you see that? He's a great communicator himself, Jesus, you know. <laughs> he's speaking to us. He's saying... You are not just the messenger. You are the message. Did you ever meet a salt and light person? Isaac Hunter, 2001, my discipler. Came to my tennis match. Changed my life forever. Stocky, bow-chested. Could barely see his feet because he was so buff. Came to my tennis match. I was on the JV doubles team. Sat through the whole thing. He was... He was fun, man. He was funny. You ever have somebody that makes you laugh so hard you're embarrassed? You don't want to let them get an ego over how much you think. that I would laugh at jokes that Isaac would tell the day after he told them. I would wake up in the morning laughing. The way he went to that home, it's not going to be funny because I don't have the timing, but he went to Home Depot and he bought something for youth group and he told this poor checkout girl, I bet you don't see too many of these and laid down a $20 bill. I don't know what it was about the timing, but it was as though Jim Carrey, the spirit of Jim Carrey, just hit me and just would not let go of me for 24 hours. I was a middle school girl giggling at his, at his jokes. He was kind. He was so kind. There was this, this kid in the youth group named Fish. His name was Fish. He had, he had a glass eyeball. He had a glass eyeball. And he was mean as a snake. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, we, like we were always like Fish, like... We love you, man. Like we want you, to, we want you to come over to the party. No, I'm not going to your stupid party. He, he was mean as a snake. Isaac was so kind to him. And Isaac opened the door for his wife. I'm 16 years old. I'm at the tennis match. He comes in his Thunderbird. Pontiac Thunderbird, 89. And my wife Ronda. me and Rhonda, come to the tennis match. I lost all the sets zero sets that I win. Great game, Ali. And he goes and he opens the door for his wife. Listen, I don't know a thing that he preached. I didn't even want to be at youth group. I wanted to be with Isaac. I wanted what he had in his life. I wanted what I want I wanted what what motivated him. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to be with Isaac. This is this is what I believe it's saying is that that the values of the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the poor and the meek, are mobilized by the vision of his people. That they're not, they're not just being messengers. They are the message. The words are the message. The ways are the message. The works are the message. It's true, isn't it? I mean, this is what we remember of our fathers and our uncles and our youth pastors. We don't remember the sermons. Like I, I try hard for y'all. I try to keep organized. Remember what I'm trying to say? But At the end of the day, I know the shelf life of a sermon. I know the shelf life of a sermon is 45 seconds. I know that you won't remember. You don't remember what I said last week. I understand that. But that may, we may be made not just recipients, but instruments of the gospel. This is what I want to spend the whole summer doing for the next eight weeks. I want to spend time in a topical series we typically do walking through books of the Bible. We're in Genesis picking back up in the fall. But I want to do a series called Salt and Light. And it's a study, but it's a prayer. It's like, make me salt and light. The, the, like the message can only get out with the messengers. And it's like, we, we, want to be, we want to be transformed. We want to be recipients. We want to be instruments um, of, of his gospel. And so um, there's, there's different topics that we'll be looking at. What, what does it mean to speak with gospel fluency? The gospel is a story that's being told all time. It's being told in movies. you ever watched a movie before and you recognize the gospel's there? Or at least half of it? And I bet you if we opened our our ears for gospel listening as you talk to your friend, your spouse, your neighbor, you're going to start, if you listen to their story, you're hearing the gospel. You're hearing it. Do you know how to listen with gospel fluency? And do you know how to talk about things with gospel fluency? Our ways. Listen, if you never celebrate you're always anxious, you're continually in a bad mood, you, it's, it's difficult to communicate the message of the gospel through that way of life. People will remember the ways more than the works. They will remember the life more than the sermons and the works. Do we not just create you know, patterns and ethoses of, of Christian behavior, but do we look for active ways to, to, to communicate the gospel in ways that don't include words that people might taste and see, him good in us. They might ultimately see and taste the goodness in him. This is what it says. This is what it says in uh, in Matthew, where we were in our text. We don't have a message. We are the message. It says this in Matthew um, five, as I find my where I'm at here. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Um, y'all have been to church before. I've seen some people that have, are Bible, Bible scholars and a sword drill winners. I feel like I see in the room. Um, who's heard a sermon on salt and light? What, what, what is Jesus? What attribute of salt might Jesus be keying into when he is trying to communicate what salt is in the kingdom of heaven? What's the word? Anybody? Shout it out. What does salt look like? What does salt do? What does salt mean? It has flavor. That's good. Yeah. You know when you had ten glasses of water and one of them had salt in it, you would know. You would know there's salt. What else do we use salt for? What else have we used salt for? What's that? Preservation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The salt of the earth would preserve the culture. It would preserve, uh, would preserve the message of the gospel. Salt was expensive. It was used for currency to pay soldiers with. That's why we don't, uh, we don't really use it as a tongue-in-cheek term to say that somebody's not worth their weight in salt. But usually your weight in salt was a lot. Yeah. Yeah, salt, in, in many translations, what, what Jesus is saying would be the risk here is to lose saltiness, to lose the flavor, is, is, is what many of the translations say, NIV that I read is losing saltiness, which you can't really lose saltiness. It's made out of its substance. But, but you could lose the flavor, and if you lost the flavor of saltiness, the purpose of saltiness would be missing. What would, it, what would that mean? What would it mean to have a life without flavor? What would it mean to have a life that's gray? What would it mean if I I said my life is dull? What would that equate to? If if there wasn't a right and a wrong, if there wasn't beauty, if there wasn't purpose, if there wasn't meaning, what would that feel like? Have, Have you ever encountered the Ecclesiastes feeling of meaninglessness and dullness and drabness and life without flavor? What would be missing in a life without flavor? Among these things, maybe the most central, important thing is the gospel. If there isn't an understanding that we come from a place, if there isn't an understanding that we were created for a purpose, if there wasn't an understanding that we are loved, if there wasn't an understanding we were made in our creator's image, life would get gray quickly, wouldn't it? If we thought that this was all there was, if all we saw around us in the brokenness and the decay of society, if we didn't know the gospel or maybe took a moment and forgot it, life would get gray pretty quickly. It would get flavorless. In the Greek, it actually means foolish pretty quickly. If we didn't understand that the gospel is the power to save, the gospel is the power that has saved us from our past sins, the gospel is the power that can save us from the power of sin, and the gospel is the power that will save us from the presence of sin. If we don't know and understand the gospel, if we can't see And view things in our life, in our family's life, in light of the gospel. If we can't see the color of the new creation around us, life will get get gray and dull very quickly. And so I believe of of multiple things that we could apply what salt would mean. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is the power to save. The gospel is what makes the church salty. If the church does not have the gospel, what is the church anyways, you know? Because because the world has plenty of music, right? Right? And the world has community, and the world has book clubs. The world has good thoughts and meditation. The, girl, the, the world, in some places, might have a little kindness and generosity and benevolence. But, but the thing, the church, this is what he's saying, like if the, church, if the church is just the world and it lacks saltiness, if it lacks the gospel, then what, what good is it? And so this is, this is the, I think, the crux of this series, of a, of a time spent, asking the Holy Spirit to see us transformed, that we might see our surroundings transformed. Do we give people the gospel? Do we give people the gospel? If, if the church is without the gospel, then what is the point of the church? If the church is just a social club, what is the point of the church? If the church is just about all the other messages that the world tries to give us, the gospel of the world is try harder. The gospel of the world is give up. The gospel of the world is have good vibes. The gospel of the world is think different. The gospel of the world is move faster. The gospel of the world is move slower. The gospel of the world is just do it. The gospel of the world is don't worry. The gospel of the world is be happy. The gospel of the world is your way right away. If there is no gospel, then what is the church? So when somebody comes to you and they complain about their spouse, they are asking you for the gospel. And they will tell you that they're a victim of it and they'll tell you that he never shows up on time and they'll tell you that he's always messing up and and, he'll, and, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll tell you that, that they're so anxious about it and they're so frustrated about it. And, and I hope, I hope, I hope in a salt and light church that there is care and that there is comfort and maybe there is even correction. But may there... May, 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 may we not turn back from bringing that person what they really need, the gospel. We will give them, you know, our, our, I, I think as we see the thing play out, you know, if you watch and observe with gospel ears and gospel eyes, when, when, when someone brings a burden, the temptation will be to comfort. And we should comfort and let us comfort. And sometimes the temptation will be to give advice. And maybe that's not the best thing in the world. But the imperative is to give the gospel. Every moment that we are living is an opportunity to share and tell the gospel. Do we know how to share and tell the gospel in fluid, in fluent ways? It says this um, uh, in, in Matthew 5, in the next passage. It says, you are the light of the world, a town built Uh, On a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's have another quiz. What does light do? What do we know about light? Anyone know? Artists, Uh, physicists out there? What does light do? It reveals, absolutely. I've never seen uh, a light get in the fight with the darkness and not win. You don't have like a tug-of-war or arm wrestle. Okay, you win this time, darkness. The lights turn on and the light prevails and there isn't a wrestling debate about it. It's won at light speed. What else do we know about light? Absolutely. You know what's crazy about light? I learned this because I had, you know, I'm a a preacher so I Google a lot. If I shine light, like if I open up that door right there, y'all know that Based on perspective, that, that light will actually like, bend around the door. Like the, the opening of the light will cast a, a larger beam than the narrowness of that door. It will fill the space you give it. If it's, a, if it's a crack or a chasm, light will shine through and meet it. So what is Jesus doing? He's saying that if you're salty, you'll know that you'll be salty because you'll be different. And if you're the same as the Kiwanis Club, then you've lost the saltiness. And that would be a shame. But not just that we're different, but that we're also involved, that we're also engaged, that we're not separate. This is what salt and light would mean, that we are different but not separate, that we are in the world but not of the world. And so, so salt just can't be salty, it just can't be me and mine doing what me and mine have always done, us four and no more. No, the purpose of salt is to bring light, is to shed light, is to cast light, it's to reach And so this is what he says, right? At the very end of the passage, he defines it for us. He says, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the equation. This is the the simple arithmetic of the gospel. They see good deeds. They glorify the Father in heaven. It's a little bit... Different juxtaposed to later on in Matthew 6. Remember what it says, don't do your good deeds before men. And then Matthew 5 says, do your good deeds before men. It's like, Jesus, which one do you want me to do? you want to do it in secret or do it in Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's is doing. Remember what it says in Matthew 6. Is it public or private? What is it? It's all about the purpose. Does this deed reveal and show the character of God? Does it tell a story of something that I couldn't do if God was not with me? Is it is it the possible life or the, the impossible life? Is a life done in my strength or done in his? This is what the vision that he gives his soul in light church, that you would do your good deeds. The common language of the church and the world is good deeds. This is the deal is that uh, Ephesians says we are poemas. We are God's workmanship created in advance to do good deeds before you is a menu of opportunities today, in this Sunday, to do things that make sense to the world. Though they don't know how to taste and see Jesus, they can taste and see your life. And if it's salty and bright enough, then they will desire, it says in the passage, your Father in heaven. I know there's a lot of controversy around um, this uh, singer, Michael Ketterer, who uh, leads with the United Pursuit Band. He's a part-time worship leader and a part-time pediatric nurse. And, uh, And I think in the church, we just need to understand, like, Nobody's a platform preachers and pastors or people, you know. But aside from that, you know, whatever it is, season five or whatever of America's Got Talent, Michael Ketterer um, has one biological child and adopted five others, one with cerebral palsy. And um, and so he he gets on the show and he sings, um, you know, this this song. Um, that has kind of kingdom elements to it. And y'all know Simon Cowell, you know who this guy is? He, he, I mean, maybe he's faking it, but he he seems like the stiffest upper lip you'd ever see, toughest guy in show business. You know, curses like a sailor or whatever. And Michael Ketterer gets up there, and Simon Cowell knows that what's going on up there is not completely from this place. Like when, when, when Michael Ketterer opens up his mouth, and you could watch the YouTube videos and you see the story and the gospel narrative, and you see a man really just given in surrender to the kingdom of God in his life, even the harshest critics can recognize the kingdom of God. The world wants to hate the church. But if the church is engaged in Matthew 6, or Matthew 5 rather, good deeds, it promises and it delivers, I believe, that when they see kingdom works, not our strengths works, not our, you know, uh, intelligence, our own self-gratification you know, gratification or glorification, our own self-dependency. When, when they see, when, when the world sees, both in the church and outside the church, and when the world would see a life given to God and given to, to uh, the kingdom's strength, they can know the difference. They can taste and see the difference. I could taste and see the difference in Isaac. You can taste and see the difference in what a kingdom fruit is versus uh, the fruit of the world. And so... Um, yeah, this is, my, this, is, this, is, this is my thought that I'll leave us with. And, um, and I'll actually uh, invite the band to come up as we kind of just get going with, with, this, with this sermon series. But the world learns to taste and see that he is good by tasting and seeing that your life is good in him. I want to spend the next couple weeks talking about the gospel. I want to talk about what it means, and how it changes. I want to talk about for the next eight weeks as we kind of establish ourselves and get used to the furniture in this room. By the way, we still have a few, a few more building things to be done down here on the front of the stage. We had, did have one Murphy's Law and prayed over this TV, and by pray, we bopped it a few times as well. <laughs> uh, we're gonna have to swap it out. Um, there's a few things yet to be done in terms of signage outside and inside, and uh, there's things, things yet to be done, but as we establish ourselves, um, you know, moving into this chapter, I just thought it was imperative that we would be saturated in the gospel. What would it mean to be saturated in our words, in our ways, in our walk? What would it mean to be saturated when we listen to others to hear the gospel? The church is not the church if it doesn't have the gospel in the center of it that would be saturated and seasoned with salt, as Colossians says, That, um, that when people would ask us for the hope that we'd have, that we would know articulately how to communicate it. When people come to us in their triumphs and in their sorrows and their brokenness, what they are asking about us and from us is the gospel. And so, which one of these, as you reflect, it'll be on the screen, which one of these would you maybe feel the Holy Spirit Inviting you into gospel saturation. I wonder if there is maybe in the next few weeks through study and I'll, I'll even recommend different books and different links for those that are interested to grow in the ability to identify. Uh, here's, here's a quick snapshot if you take pictures. Most people that are coming to you looking for the gospel either to know, need to know one of these four things that would be fluent in one of these four things that God is great so that we do not need to be in control. When people come to you, they're complaining about their spouse, but what they need is the gospel. God is great. And without his greatness, without his greatness taking that place and residence in our heart, the gospel has not yet fully been preached to that person. And so what does it mean to preach God's greatness in action and in deed and in word? When people come to us, they need the gospel. They need to know that God is glorious so that we do not need to fear others. Most of the people's problems are not that somebody else would change or somebody else's attitude would change or that they would be promoted or, de- or demoted or moved or whatever. It's is that they have they have a heart issue that they need to see God made glorious in their heart and the gospel needs to be made complete in that place. That Number three, God is good. Most people need to know that he is good and the greatest satisfaction will be there and until, until we find that our greatest satisfaction is met in him. And he is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. The gospel's not yet fully been saturated in that place for us or for others. Do we know how to preach the gospel of his goodness in light of this dark place? Do we know how to preach the gospel about his grace and his graciousness that we do not need to prove ourselves to others? And the gospel that, or the message that comes to us that, that tries to invoke our works and acts of righteousness will never prove satisfactory. For our own self-justification, do we know how to preach the grace of God? This is what our world needs more than anything is salt and light. It needs comfort, it needs advice, it needs wisdom, but more than anything, it needs the gospel. More than anything, what the person next to you needs is the gospel. What your marriage needs is the gospel. What our schools needs is the gospel. What our church needs in the gospel. And so this is my hope and heart for the summer series that we would take an equipping approach and just saying, Show me what I don't see. Teach me what I don't know. My life is designed to be too important and significant of a message that it wouldn't be saturated in the gospel. Let my message of my life not be rooted in something other than the gospel, that I would lose my saltiness, that it would be rooted, if it was rooted in something else, that it would lose its brightness and shining in my home, in my neighborhood, in the nation. That you would saturate me, that you would saturate me in my gospel, and I know, in, in, the, in Jesus' gospel, and I know, I know that, that this prayer is a great and powerful prayer because as we ask for gospel impact, we'll also get gospel influence in our heart, and we'll find ourselves more free as we pray that others would be made free, He would do it in us, what He wants to do through us, and we'd be made free by His gospel in deep and mighty ways. I invite you to stand as I lead us into this worship time, but Lord Jesus, show us what we don't know. Teach us what we don't see. We do not feel salty and bright, and so you would have to be the one that fulfills the law in us, that we might be made a covenant family, a salt and light family to the nations, that many, many would be drawn. We ask in this place that you would humble us, that you would convict us, that you would change us, that you would rebuke us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us compassion where there is bitterness. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us a heart of humility instead of pride. We ask you in these next weeks as we seek your scriptures in the gospel, that you would do a gospel work in us that others would taste and see your goodness in us, that they might turn to your goodness and taste and see your goodness as well. So we give you this space in our heart in this season for a mighty gospel work in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.